Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be recapping the Thunder's last two games. Going to be talking about Monday's matchup against the Sacramento Kings, last night's game against the Denver Nuggets, SGA's continued domination post-All-Star break, and I'm also going to be talking about Isaiah Roby's big night and his current situation within the Thunder's rotation. And to top it all off, I'll be giving you all a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But guys, starting things out in Sacktown, OKC going up against the Kings out of pretty much all sources of centers. You don't have Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Mike Muscala is not available for the game. Same goes with Derek Favors. So they had to throw in Isaiah Roby as the starting five, had Olivier Saar as the backup, and you got DeMontis Sabonis at the helm for Sacramento. And, you know, even with a traditional center, Sabonis has given OKC some problems for a very long time. But anyways, you square off into this game and you start to see offensive exchanges back and forth, back and forth. Trey Lyles, though, ended up being the story out of the first 12 minutes, which was, you know, a bit of a surprise. Um, Now, Trey, he was starting. OKC's front court was not particularly the best suited uh, for this contest. So he was able to lead them. The Kings put up 35 here. But Oklahoma City was still up in the ante. They had 32 points in the first quarter. Had a lot of threes going for them. They went 4 of 9 from distance. 2 of 2 from SGA here. And SGA already had 14 points leading into quarter number 2. And as you got into more action in the game, didn't see much of that same production from Sacramento's front court. Trey Lyles, zero points. DeMontis Sabonis, zero points. Sacramento, they struggled. They only had 24 in the frame. And OKC took advantage. Completely even things out. Clean slate, tie ball game going into the second half. They outscored them 27-24. And the surprise of the period came from Olivier Saar. Mark Dagnall wanted to play his bench. Really the entire second quarter. Olivier played 8 minutes. Poku played 11 minutes. Lindy was out there for 6 and Teo played 8. Not to mention you had Vit Kredci out there for around 7 minutes. I mean this was just a second unit time to shine. And they did just that. Saar did a great job attacking the basket. I've talked about it multiple times on here. But when you're looking at him as a prospect... He's really a rim runner. Um, You have the athletic ability with him. Is he going to be popping out from three? Probably not. Now, he has taken some shots from there. But the primary forte is going to be coming from those short rolls or where he just completely rolls in off a high ball screen and you're able to hit him up that way. So he had a really nice collection of inside scores. One of them was a putback dunk, I believe, in the seconds. And it made the second half very damn intriguing you have OKC that's you know they're not doing too well in standings fourth and reverse standings and Sacramento who going into this one was right on the doorstep 
of kind of whittling down that margin if they were to uh, try and tank things out. Uh, but, you know, going in it really didn't seem like a tank fest, and it definitely did not look like that in the third quarter because OKC jumped out with a seven-point lead. Dominance from OKC starters. Of course, SGA was in the mix on this. However, you plug in that second unit, and the magic was pretty much gone. Sacramento went on an insane tangent. Harrison Barnes had nine points. Davion Mitchell had nine points. And they ended up completing the swing uh, to where, you know, going into the fourth quarter, they were up a couple of points here. Completed this one up nine going into the final 12. So OKC needed some magic. Now, you did have SGA, who was really just on fire. I mean, 14 points in the first quarter. 11 points in the second quarter fourth quarter you know this is kind of where he tends to shine lots of clutch buckets have come from him not just this season but really the entirety of his time in Bricktown Uh, but you didn't get to see much action he had seven points in four minutes in the frame five of six from the foul line so it was just basically attacking the basket forcing a foul from Trey Lyles and just reaping the rewards Uh, but Sacramento did have that counter, and it led to SGA checking out early. Trey Mann was the main guy, I guess you could say, out of the closing lineup. Uh, but then you saw Poku, Credchi, Waters, just those guys kind of closing the game. Uh, OKC shot 5 of 16 in the fourth quarter. Sacramento continued to just pile up some points. They outscored OKC 32-20 to 20 in the fourth Ended up winning 131 to 110. So you have this just monstrous second half where they're able to pick up really all those points. I mean, this was a tie ball game going into quarter number three. Uh, But I don't think it tells you the full story because there was a fight from Oklahoma City in this game. Third quarter, damn near up double digits against them. Just faltered at the end there. And then Dagnall kind of pumped the brakes to allow some of the younger guys to get additional action but that loss actually widened the margin in terms of reverse standings OKC would have had right on their tail end the Indiana Pacers I believe a half game back and Sacramento would have been one and a half games away because of that Sacramento pulled out three games away from Oklahoma City and they kept to that fourth and reverse standings cushion but breaking down the numbers you know, you don't have Josh Giddy, you don't have Lou Dort, someone has to step up, and that man is going to be SGA, really any given night, finished with 37 points, 12 of 16 from the floor, 3 of 3 from downtown, and he got a double-double with 10 assists to go along with his serving. He did it at all three levels, and that's always how I evaluate him on any given night. Is he able to attack the basket? Typically, that's a yes. Is he getting foul shots? Typically, that's a yes. When it comes to the three ball, it's been shaky this year. He hasn't shot above 30%. He brought the entire package in this game. And if you gave him the last eight or so minutes in this fourth quarter, this could be an entirely different ball game. When he was out on the court, OKC was able to put in some damage. Just came short there, subbed in that second unit. That's kind of the tale. Uh, In terms of the foul shots, though, 10 of 14 from the line accounted for over half of Oklahoma City's not just attempts but also makes at the charity stripe 
going beyond that, Olivier Saar did an excellent job. When you guys recall, like the first time Saar uh, was at the NBA ranks, it was off of a hardship exception because of all the COVID absences, played 12 minutes against Sacramento, four points, couple rebounds, and two blocks within 45 seconds. Complete energy guy there. I think that's why he ended up netting this two-way contract, or one of the reasons. And, you know, you go back against Sacramento. Saar hasn't played really at all this year, uh, even after that Sacramento game. They didn't use him on his 10 days. Put him in. He's able to play a career-high 26 minutes, post 12 points and four rebounds on five of eight shooting, one of two from downtown as well. I've said, you know, with the blue, he's been experimenting from three. Am I completely sold on it? No. But OKC is also in an experimental phase. So, like, if he's open, I'm not going to knock the shot. So, he was taking him. He goes one of two. You love to see it. And overall, I think the energy he brought was a net positive to the Thunder. Kind of makes you wonder, you know, does he play additional minutes moving forward? And all things considered, I mean, he's not a spectacular big man, right? Like, he's the prototypical rebounder who has a bit of hops to him. Uh, but he hasn't tapped it in that next level. You know, when people talk about, like, the Moses Brown of last year, I guess you'd pin that to Olivier Saar. I will say, I believe Saar has a bit more uh, of an expanded range now, rebounding-wise. He's definitely on, not on the same level as Brown, but I do like him as a prospect, and I think with the in-house players available, Sar made the most sense on a two-way contract. And talking about another guy from the OKC Blue, Vit Krejci had 10 points in this game to go along with five rebounds and two assists. Tough break for him from three. He shot 0 of 6. However, the cutting was insane. Straight masterclass he put on. Four of six on twos. I believe three out of his four makes actually came off of just drives inside. And whenever I was scouting him out of Zaragoza, and whenever he got selected, I said, here's the thing with him. I think he's going to be a small forward, and primarily, he will be a cutter. I loved his play from the corner overseas. That's the way he's played with the Oklahoma City Blue. Completely translates it over to the, uh, to the next level, and he gets double digits out of it. Obviously, the three-point shot was not great, but if he was able to put two and two together, he would have been explosive because the inside game was definitely prevalent for him in that one. Trey Mann had 11 points. Teo ended up with nine points, but ultimately just could not chop down the Kings. 29 points and 10 assists from De'Aaron Fox. Harrison Barnes had 23 of his own. Trey Lyles with 24 points. And Sabonis went off, 14 points, 16 boards, and 7 assists. You really can't knock it. Just too much size to this Kings team. And hell, if they had Rashawn Holmes, I would have been waving that red flag. Holmes is a beast around the basket, shoots around 80% inside 3 feet. Would not have wanted to see that. Trey Lyles plugged in and gave similar production, and they got the well-deserved victory and going into Wednesday's game against Denver Oklahoma City had vengeance on their minds but before I get into that game I'll let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have going on hoops fans 
the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut's, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. But guys, moving along to yesterday's game against the Denver Nuggets. Oklahoma City did not look good when it came to covering the paint on Monday. Sacramento got a walk inside, pretty much do whatever they wanted, and there was nothing new on the injury report here. Actually, you added one and Aaron Wiggins. So, you still have to run the lineup where Isaiah Roby's at the five, but now Alexei Pokushevsky is the starting four. So, you have a very small ball lineup at your four and five spot. You're facing arguably the best big man in the league, former MVP Nikola Jokic. That is a nightmare of a game <laughs> for the Thunder. And the Nuggets run a six-game winning streak going into the game. So, that is kind of a bit of a talking point. It's a bit of a scare for Oklahoma City. Uh, granted, you know, they have been rebuilding the majority of the season. However, tips off, and Oklahoma City's front court is actually the reason they're up to begin the game. They went on a 9-2 opening run, inflated it to an 11-4 run, and Isaiah Roby was leading the game with seven points on a perfect three of three cut. Mike Malone couldn't call a timeout fast enough. They had to regroup. And Denver's starting unit was not good in the first quarter. They had to go get their bench. In particular, they had to get into Sean Bones Highland to dig him out of the graves here. And Denver was able to tie it up at 24 all off of a 7-0 concluding run so Nikola Jokic sure was he still able to put some points up yeah he had four points and six assists already but he was pretty much neutralized no one else on this starting group was too satisfying and Highland like I mentioned he was leading with eight points for the Nuggets so OKC they're looking pretty good they're keeping the game low in scoring and Nikola Jokic has yet to pop off 
second unit action comes back around. And Denver's bench explodes again. Easily better than their starting group in the first quarter. Rollout, no different. They hit their first five shots. Coast to a 14-1 run and open the floodgates on a 13-point lead. What does Dagnall do in response? He throws in the starters. SGA, Trey Mann, Isaiah Roby, you name it, he's got him out there. And OKC had a responding run of 14-2. Able to counter them, put them right back on front, and by the halftime horn, Oklahoma City was neck and neck. They were down 54 to 52. And OKC, they were going to any and all options available for buckets. If you guys were listening to the away broadcast in this game, hate to throw shade. Very, very Homer commentary crew, which I guess is to be expected for these regional broadcasts. But that's what it was, right? Let's call it how it is. They were very upset about the free throw battle. Oklahoma City was getting a ton up in the second quarter, 10 shots to be exact, but they only put up 14, and so did the Denver Nuggets. So you had 28 foul shots in the first 24 minutes of the game, and Oklahoma City really had two guys they were playing off of. One of them, no surprise, it's Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's up to 14 points. But the second in command... Shooting four of seven was Isaiah Roby. He looked extremely, extremely good for the Thunder. And you had Poku making his return to the starting unit with seven points and five rebounds. On the other side, you had Jokic with 14 points and seven boards. Honestly, that's not that bad uh, with who you have matched up against you. And not much else was going on for the Nuggets. They were shooting 5 of 18 from 3. And they were just swinging and hoping that they could get something going. Really couldn't to put the game away. So you head into the third quarter. It's anybody's ball game. And you have Oklahoma City taking advantage yet again. Denver was atrocious from 3. I talked about it a second ago. But their starters also were yet to hit a three-point shot. Didn't make a single three-point shot in the third quarter, at least out of the starting five. And Oklahoma City on the flip side hit five of their first eight shots from distance. And Denver started two of 11 from downtown. Oklahoma City was in the lead by nine points. They were looking to just veer off into the sunset, take their W, and leave the Nuggets in the dust, but they had other plans. Mike Malone was not looking towards the starters again. Throws out a collection of bench guys. Three consecutive threes go in. Icing on the cake, the last one, left corner catch and shoot from Bryn Forbes. Launches up the three, swishes it home, but Vic Credci, who was way out of the play, zoomed in, fouled him, Got him a four-point play, and he got the free throw to go in. So Denver took the lead. But then Oklahoma City snuck right back into it. Finished the quarter 7 of 11 from three. They were up 86 to 79. 
going into the final quarter. And this was a ridiculous cut of minutes right here because it's just the battle of benches, really. Mark Dagnall's best unit is going to surface from your starters, no doubt about it. But when you're looking at some of the stars, I mean, Vid Crenshaw went two of two from distance. Darius Baisley hit two threes from deep. And Isaiah Roby hit three of three triples in the third. These guys aren't starting. Baisley, sure, let, let's throw him the bone. He is a starter uh, consistently. But Roby, Crenshaw, absolutely freaking not. They're out there playing. And, you know, SGA wasn't particularly good uh, in the quarter. He shot two of seven, played all 12 minutes, and only mustered up six points. Like, the door was definitely there for the Nuggets, but they got shut down. Nuggets starters remained atrocious. They went 0 of 9 from 3, only able to post 12 out of the team's 22 points. 22 points in the quarter. And you had 10 of those points coming off of just that three-point tangent uh, between Bones Highland and Bryn Forbes. So unless the Nuggets started just gunning out threes or they got some sort of three-level production, you know, you might as well call it quits on the game. And Oklahoma City kept applying the pressure. They got their lead up to double digits. The Nuggets couldn't get that major run. Lead teetered between, I'd say, like six to nine points going into the final moments of the game. Let's fast forward to the final three. And then both starting groups are back out. Malone has to kind of put a hodgepodge in there. You got Bones Highland running with the ones. But SGA was too freaking much. And one reverse layup. Potentially puts the game up to 10. He missed the free throw, but it got him up nine with three to go. And then a couple plays later, Hits a step back three with 90 seconds. Put them up 11 points. And they just waved goodbye to Denver. Snowball effect from distance for them. Starting group shot 0 of 24 from three. They got one three to go in. In the final 15 seconds of the game. Shoot around shot was the one that went in for them. They go 4% from deep range with that starting group that was uh, a real real interesting storyline for them and in all they ended up shooting below 30 percent from three 12 of 46 i read some uh earlier 46 three-point attempts for them was tied for second in franchise history i believe and they couldn't hit any of them. So they were just playing OKC's game. OKC, by the way, they didn't shoot 46 times from three. They shot 29, but they hit 16 of them. Season high of 55.2%. But they were just playing mind games with them. Why do you keep shooting the threes? You have Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic as your four and five. Oklahoma City had Alexei Pokashevsky and Isaiah Roby and Olivier Saar if you want to toss him in there, but that's a mismatch if I've ever heard of one. They didn't look around the basket and it cost them. Nikola Jokic led the team in scoring with 22 points, 16 rebounds to go along with it, 10 of 17 from the floor 
went 10 of 13 on twos. Force feed the big man. Didn't do it. Aaron Gordon, 4 of 12 from the field. He shot 3 of 5 on twos. Just 9 points for him. Go inside. Jeff Green, 3 of 4 on twos. I mean, they just had so many players that could have been weapons. But they didn't want to attack the paint. And, you know, that's going to lead to major freaking issues. And the biggest story to me uh, doesn't have to do with the Nuggets losing, right? Like six-game losing streak or winning streak against Oklahoma City, that's big in its own right. Some of the stories you're going to get from the Thunder side are also big. But how about this? Will Barton entered the game expected to break a new franchise record. J.R. Smith has led the Nuggets franchise in total three-pointers made. When you look at the overall total, I believe it's in the 600 somewhere, right? Barton needs to hit one shot, two, to actually set the record. He goes out there and shoots 0 of 9 from 3, adding insult to injury. 1 of 25 from starters. OKC couldn't miss from downtown. Can't get any better than that, folks. So just looking at the Will Barton show, I thought he would definitely break it because Will Barton tends to play well against the Thunder. I did some research on it. I think the last like 11 times he's played him, he's hit a three. Sometimes he's hit as many as like three or four. Nope, absolutely nothing. Instead, you got to see Vit Krejci down all three of his three-point attempts. And, you know, you got to pack your bags as one of the top dogs in the Western Conference. So that was great, uh, great stuff, in my opinion. This is in contention for one of the best games of the season. The MSG game might be hard to top, at least in my eyes. But you got to put this in the top three. Great performance from Oklahoma City. If you're in the tanking camp... You just got to let go of it for right now. Have this moment. This was a spectacular game from every single member of Mark Dagnault's crew. And they took this one handily. 119-107. to 107. Looking at the box score. SGA, 29 points on the ball game. 10 of 23 from the field. 3 of 5 from distance. And 6 of 8 from the foul line seven rebounds and five assists to his name he really wasn't the guy the entire night you know this was one where everybody got a slice of the pizza and that's great it gave him a really good end result but in the clutch he won the basketball in his hands and what did he do and won and he gets the dagger step back three you're not overcoming an 11 point deficit in 90 seconds Unless there's some crazy March Madness stuff. Yeah, probably call that one out. Didn't happen. SGA was the reason OKC had that comfortable cushion in the clutch. Going beyond that though, you had Isaiah Roby and you had a lot of former G League members. The G League guys accounted for 78 of the Thunder's 119 points. Seven of nine players on the floor had some G League experience with a blue this year. And they beat the freaking Denver Nuggets, man. Like, <laughs> it's wild. It's wild what Grant Gibbs does. And it's wild how these guys are able to perform. 
all of them stayed composed. You had the commentary crew for Denver harping about bench points because Denver's bench was good. You know, that's been one of their uh, biggest talking points this last like month or two. But Oklahoma City's bench, I get they're not they're not in the bench. They're starting in that game. But like their whole team have been G Leaguers or bench guys. Get that stat off the board and show me what G League assignees have looked like. I can assure you, there's not that much going for the Denver Nuggets in that area. So you get a lot of those guys for the Blue and the Thunder, you know, just killing it. Poster boy of that happened to be Isaiah Roby. He set a career high with 26 points on the evening, 9 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 5 from distance, 4 of 7 from the free throw line, and he had 7 rebounds and 5 assists. Cold-blooded. That's the best way I could describe this man on Wednesday. Just couldn't miss off of the pick and pop. And his statistics, I'll go into it in a little bit, have been really nice as a starter. But overall, he's just stayed consistent. He hasn't heard his name called much this year because Jeremiah is there, Favors is there, just a lot of different people. But every time they bring him up, he tends to play well. It was a bad, bad game for him in Sacramento. We can all kind of get to that. But to move on, flip the page and drop 26 against Jokic, the best center in the West, really means something. He spaced the floor like crazy. Didn't matter if he was at the wing or the corner. He was hitting it from all over the place. And because he's 6'8", he's not really a post-up guy, you saw him just dominate off the roll, getting the first step off of his guy and just reaping the benefits. You got to adjust your play when you have to play up a couple sizes. Isaiah Roby has kind of gotten used to that. That's what he had to do last year. Just getting back into the motions this season. A-plus job from the big man. He's had to play anywhere from three to five in his last two seasons in Bricktown. But, I mean, he has been a very, very sneaky good player. Um, You know, you can't really fault him for much. Sort of the Swiss Army knife where he's good at a lot of stuff, maybe not great. But it all came together, broke his previous career high of 19, and looked very damn efficient in the process. But moving on from him, another OKC Blue assignee in the starting unit, was Alexei Pokashevsky. Nine points, 11 rebounds, three assists, a pair of steals, and a pair of blocks. One of one from deep. And when Poku hits a three, there's just something about it, right? Where it's kind of that momentum shifter. I'd give the comparison of like a Kyle Singler or something where he doesn't hit many of them, but when one goes in, the whole arena erupts. It's a little bit different right now with the Thunder currently, but when Poku makes a good play, everyone, everyone gets the vibe off of it. Three-pointer definitely set the tone, and he had some very good blocks around the basket. Just volleyball spiking it. Commentary crew uh, was bringing his name up a lot, and there was good reasoning for it. Baisley had 12 on the game. Trey Mann continued his double-digit streak with 13 points. That streak is now up to six consecutive games. And Vit Kredge, three of three from deep, nine points and four rebounds for him. 
he didn't look good on defense and he, he hasn't looked amazing since getting called back up but he made himself useful by working on the other end so you got to give him props for that same goes for lindy waters he's looked a bit better on defense nothing too crazy but he hasn't looked amazing from three comes into this game shoots two of five from deep 40 percent you'll take that and a couple of those came off of transition buckets left wing on um on one of them that i remember you know having a transition shooter is big time okc they haven't really lacked one uh, but you know they haven't had a guy just perfectly crafted for that area that is played i think lindy waters is just that sharpshooter archetype and i don't know if he's long term but i like that you're able to place him in these situations and he does decent in terms of production and i think eventually uh, you might see defenders start to step up on him once he's able to prove himself but i think everybody showed their worth in this contest even for guys like olivier he had six points teo had nine points everyone gave their two cents and it brought their total way above the nuggets they just look lost in the game and uh you know you're gonna ride into friday's contest with something to build upon oklahoma city can be sneaky good you don't have two out of your top three players but you always are able to find secondary options extremely young group potentials all over the place sometimes the games are going to look bad overall you know the season record's not great but i mean they're fighting tooth and nail for 48 minutes and denver they just couldn't pull it together and uh this is by far oklahoma city's most impressive game of the season so that was great i think when you look at the top player yes sga led in scoring he had his double double but it has to go to Isaiah Roby. If you guys have been following me since earlier in the season or you've been looking at some of the SI Thunder posts, you'll know I've been talking on and off about Roby for a little while. I had a post in December where I kind of mentioned uh, the situation with the front court and Roby just not being there and kind of what that was. Roby looked solid last season. Was he overly impressive? Probably not. But, you know, having like seven footers on you, I'd say he's still passed the test for me. Um, and, you know, he, he didn't play. He had to play in the G League to start the year. It's continued to be that way. And he had to play with the blue in January, averaged a double-double, came back up and was still shaky in terms of minutes just got his platform back about a week ago jre's out favors is out muscala's out no one's there to field minutes and he pops off with the career high performance that he has what do you do from this though i mean what is the next step for isaiah roby he's proven himself when you look at his starting numbers he's played 11 games in the starting core this year and he's averaged 10 and a half points 6.1 boards, 1.4 assists, 1.1 steals, and he shot 53.1% from the floor, 13 of 21 from three, that's 61.9%, and he's averaged more points as a starter than Darius Baisley, Aaron Wiggins, 
Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Alexei Pokashevsky, and Derek Favors. Baisley averaged 9.3, Wiggins 8.8, JRE 7.6, Poku 7.3, and Favors at 7.2. So his production and efficiency has just been on another level uh, compared to his teammates, right? But does it result in any long-term time? If you look at his overall season, he's only played in 26 games. Averaged 7.9 points, 4 rebounds, and 1 assist. Just a tick below 17 minutes per game. And there's really no clear answer. Those are good numbers. And the time he's playing, very good numbers. Starting numbers might be even better, depending on who you ask. The issue comes in with just the overhaul of assets Oklahoma City currently has. Lots of young guys are on the roster. And there's only so many minutes at Mark Dagnall's disposal. Currently, there hasn't been that many hiccups, right? Like, Teo Maladone might be the biggest one we've seen thus far, where he goes from minute leader last year to kind of completely out of the rotation. But Trey Mann earned his spot, and Ty Jerome kind of outplayed him, right? There was a reason he had to get down and work his tail off in the G League. Same goes for Alexei Pokashevsky, too. Like, he wasn't great. Didn't look great in the G League, either, but... He's back on his feet now with the Thunder. With Isaiah, it's a bit of a different case, right? Because he looked all right last season. He's looked good this year, but they can't field the time for him. And this is something that's probably going to stick around as the Thunder continue to rebuild. Like this is going to take another season or two to really hammer out who's going to stick around. And because of it, you're starting to see some of these tiny issues. They haven't ever exploded but I think Roby's the biggest case of it, uh, where someone just has to get let off. And even though they deserve a piece of the pie, they're not getting any, and they have to kind of sit on the sidelines or kind of play down at a level that they'll excel at, and that's the G League. Uh, but anyways, if you're going to put the light bulb on, you kind of want to see why Roby's not playing, it's because they've already filled that small ball five role. Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been the starter really since day one with this Thunder group. He's started in 36 of the Thunder's games, averaged about 25 minutes, and he's done a decent job. 7.6 points, 6.2 rebounds, 33% from deep, taking just around four a game. It's going to space the floor out, and with SGA driving inside all the time, it makes sense. Like It's a decent enough fit, even though... Yeah, he's not your traditional five. He might be your best option um, for what you want. And then obviously, since he is a rookie, bit more youth on his side than Roby. So they made the decision Jeremiah was going to play over him. But then there's really no second spot available at the center because JRE is not a traditional center. Roby's not one either. It's a very lucrative position to hold. And... You need to have actual front court presence. Oklahoma City has that in Derek Favors and Mike Muscala. They just picked up Sar. I don't think Roby really fits into that group, you know? So that's how you get the 45 there. But he's still the odd man out in other positions because they're also still filled. You look at the power forward position. Darius Baisley is right up top there. He's earned the starting gig back. Alexei Pokushevsky is also looked good 
and Jeremiah Robinson Earl and some of these matchups where you have favors and JRE together he's going to play power forward it's just kind of how uh, things tend to work out and then at the three pick your poison whether it's Lou Dort or Josh Giddy there uh, either one who's starting that's your small forward Kenny Hustle's behind him and then you have Aaron Wiggins and Vit Credci so there's no open avenue so even though he's been dominant as a starter as he's played on the bench there's no obvious void and he's kind of gated off right now Oklahoma City has talked a lot in the last month about how you got to earn your shot we heard it not even a week ago uh, in relation to Alexei Pokashevsky he's earned this that's what Dagnalt said about his starting gig Teo when he got to play again because he earned it it's because he played well in the g league that's kind of what roby's done he's earned his opportunity but whenever these guys are back from injury is the opportunity just gone if he's still averaging about 10 and 6 a game how are you gonna do this are you gonna keep him in the forefront maybe reschedule the timetable on jre we'll have to wait and see but roby's look good has he had some bad games? Yes. A lot of it is due to playing at that small ball position. But he's carved himself a nice spot as a role player. Oklahoma City, they've got about 20 more games left on tap. Roby, don't know how many we'll see from him just based on what we've seen with the rotation. He's looked great though. He definitely deserves the minutes. I don't think they'll dispute that. Just comes down to how they're going to hand it to him, and if he will be given extra opportunities. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. If you guys have a different take on Roby, JRE, or any of the guys listed today, make sure to let me know. You can hit me on my personal Twitter or at ThunderstickPod. That's obviously the pod's Twitter accounts. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.